Sisters, brothers, siblings, welcome back to Cooking with the Story, filmed live in our state-of-the-art production facility in Los Angeles, California. The story must be told. Cooking with the Story is the only story-approved cooking show, and we thank you for tuning in. Now, if you're just joining, we're putting the finishing touches on ragout de glace chaud, a favorite dish of mine, which is French for hot grease stew. This is a super quick recipe, and the kids love it on those boiling hot days of summer. Now, we've had a little cauldron of grease warming in the sun for the past four and a half weeks. You can do ten weeks if you want. I always do four and a half. And I'm taking it out of the sun and pouring it into this bowl here. And yes, there will be ants. That's okay. The ants boil right off, and they give the ragu that that heavy, oaky grease flavor that the bodies crave. Okay, so now that you have the warm grease in the bowl, go ahead and add in the gravel. Not not too much, just a pinch to taste, really. Then mix in the moldadel, the mozzarella, the gabagool, all aged well beyond their expiration date for that musky bite you want right there in the back of your throat. And then we're going to mix in the snails. And remember, you want these snails alive. They're natural greases. Bring out the grease in the bowl of grease, and trust me, it makes all the difference in the quality of grease grease. <clears throat> all right, I'm going to leave this here. <clears throat> over there in the direct sunlight for the next 30 minutes while we hand it over to Brother Reed, who's putting the finishing touches on our desserts. All right, I... Shit! Okay, okay. Um, so like I said before the commercial break, try to handle the crows carefully. Uh, ow! Ah! Wow, yeah! Okay, they bite super hard. Okay, uh, so... Hold the crow over the crow croa. You're gonna want all of its spit and ow! Shit! Shit! You're gonna want all its spit to float on top and ah, talons! Ah, okay, so shake the crow and let the crow spin to the crow croa and ah! Ah! Here's my finger! Into oh no! Okay, so Brother Reed knocked over the birdcage, and now crows have been released in the studio. So just <laughs> stay calm, everyone. Cover your eyes and do not try to fight them. They will win. Brother Reed, how you doing, pal? Okay, um, okay, um, that, okay, we're gonna do a quick story break while we have Devin wrangle those birds, and by the time we get back, we'll be birdless, and the ragu de show will be ready to roll. Stay tuned, the story must be told. This story must be told. The Auction by Kranz Boyman. Donald sat in his car with the engine and radio off. He watched people cheerfully walk into the gallery for the auction. He was having some serious reservations about going inside. It reminded him of when he was a boy and would go swimming in the ocean with his friends. He would wade into the water up to his knees and stop there, hesitant to let the water hit his balls. He'd feel better as soon as his pair of stones touched the water and his body acclimated. But there would be that endless 10 seconds where all he'd know was cold. If he went into the gallery, he'd feel better, but there would certainly be a few minutes of discomfort, not just for him, but for everyone there. He unbuckled his seatbelt. There, he thought, one more step. He looked at his watch. It was 7.53 p.m. He had exactly seven minutes to decide if he was going to walk into the gallery and find his prize, the prize he'd been seeking tirelessly for years. 
fuck it, he thought. Like plunging his testicles into the water, he opened up the car door and got out. He slammed it behind him and walked away from the car without locking it. As he approached the entrance of the gallery, he was overcome with the feeling that he had forgotten something, like when a door shuts behind someone and he has the brief moment of panic that he's forgotten his keys. He patted himself down and felt the bulge on his hip he had been searching for. A desert eagle, chrome, custom, serial number etched off. He had all he needed as he hopped up the ten marble steps to the gallery. In the middle of each wide step was an indentation from years of people walking up the stairs. He approached the two mahogany doors. One was left open so patrons could come and go. The only security was an old lady with white frizzy hair and bright red lipstick in a dark red vest, handing out programs for the night's auction. Realizing there is no real security, the man's heart rate slowed down. He approached the old woman. She had a name tag that said Betsy. She smiled at him as she handed him a program. He quickly nodded and shuffled past her, a little too quickly, into the auctioning room. Excuse me, sir, her old voice stammered. He swung around. Hmm, he responded, color draining from his face. You look so much like my grandson, the woman said, beaming. He's a sweet young man. You must be too. Have a great night, my boy, she smiled with a wink. Okay. He continued into the auctioning room. He looked at his watch. It was 8.01 p.m. By the time he found a seat, the auction had already begun. His eyes darted around the room. Despite his years of research, tracking down the piece he so desperately craved, he had never actually been to an auction. He'd only seen them reenacted on television shows and in movies. He expected the auctioneer to be a quick-talking man with a Texas accent, surrounded by priceless goods. Instead, there was a wormy, seemingly homosexual, bookish, middle-aged man overseeing the festivities. He was in a suit that was too tight on his slight frame and wore tiny glasses that looked too small for his head. A cause for concern was that there was nothing on the stage with the auctioneer. Donald shifted in his seat. This threw his plan right out the window. For months, he had practiced the same routine. He would take his seat. He'd pinpoint where the object of his desire was. He'd let the first auction go by, and then he'd stand up, take the object by force, and threaten anyone at gunpoint who got in his way. A dumpy woman appeared on stage with the first item up for bid. It was a silver dining set for 30 places. Apparently, it had been donated to the auction house by an old rich shut-in with no one in his or her will. The geriatric crowd stirred in their seats, excited to get their hands on the deceased stranger's goods. Donald sighed and slunked in his seat. He may have traveled thousands of miles for nothing. The past nine years of his life could have been in vain. For years, he had been searching this particular item down. Countless hours, days, weeks, months, and years were spent in libraries, in front of computers, and making phone calls under a fake name. As the auction went on, Donald's hopes continued to be dashed. He looked at the program for help, but there was nothing in the pages to suggest his object of desire would be up for bid. Instead of listing the items by name, it simply had a code of numbers and letters and a corresponding title to designate who had donated it. The thing Donald lusted over for years would be submitted under a false name. He was sure of that. So he wasn't confident enough to leave. But at the same time, he was confident he wouldn't see what he wanted so desperately. There was an intermission. Everyone got up, stretched, and chatted. Donald sat in his seat, sullen. Donald looked at his watch. 9.27 p.m., 33 minutes left, and then back into the world, defeated. 
He'd have to start his search over from scratch. Who knows how many years it would take to get back on track. He'd spent nearly a decade following a false lead. He might as well have spent that time in prison. The auctioneer called out the next item. Strangely, Donald's heart leapt in his throat. He had a sensation that his treasure would be brought on stage. The auctioneer opened an envelope and began speaking. The curtain shook where the dumpy lady would come out. Next item up for bid. The auctioneer was overcome by a coughing fit. (laughs) It took him a moment to regain his composure. Speak, goddamn you, Donald thought to himself. Let's get on with it. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for that. The next item up for bid is, yes, yes, speak, you damn fool, Donald muttered. A King James Bible signed by former Prime Minister of England, Neville Chamberlain, the wormy man announced. Donald's hopes were immediately dashed. He put his head in his hands. As he regained his composure, he slid his hand over his hip and checked the safety to the on position on his peacemaker. He took one last look at the program, ripped it in two, and let it fall at his feet. The bidding was wrapping up as he headed towards the exit sign. Betsy stopped him at the door. Sir, you must stay until the end of the auction. It's policy. That's ridiculous, Donald snapped back. We can't have people leaving and making phone calls to outside parties regarding what's up for auction, my boy. You need to stay. It's almost over, she said with a kind, wrinkled face and big brown eyes. Jesus, Donald muttered. This took Betsy aback. Sorry, he said, attempting to calm her. She looked to the floor, and he could see that she no longer trusted him. Sorry, he said again, and stood with his back against the wall. He watched an old woman buy a gold watch for $30,000. He watched an old man buy a page from a diary written by Napoleon Bonaparte. He watched a man spend eight grand on a championship ring from Super Bowl XX. Donald shifted his weight from one leg to the next. He had stopped paying attention when he caught the tail end of the auctioneer's introduction. We shall begin bidding for... The boy. Donald's head snapped up like a shot. His stomach dropped and he felt blood rush out of his head. If he weren't standing against the wall, he surely would have passed out. He couldn't believe it. After all these years of searching, his time had finally come. The dumpy lady stuck her head out from the curtain. He heard her voice in a stage whisper say to the auctioneer, The boy is being a bit shy. It'll just be a moment. The auctioneer smiled. It appears the boy has a case of stage fright, he joked with the crowd. The geriatric audience politely laughed. Some older women blushed. The boy was indeed delightful. Finally, the dumpy woman brought the boy out on stage. He was in a powder blue coat, like JFK Jr. at his father's funeral. His cheeks were rosy, his skin pearly white, his eyes light blue, almost gray, and his brown hair neatly parted to the side. Donald could almost smell the sweet smell of a clean young man from where he stood, despite standing almost 20 yards away. His desire wasn't sexual by any stretch. The boy was a monument to perfection. He had to be protected. I've been waiting for this, Donald whispered to Betsy. She politely smiled, a severe distrust in her eyes. Okay, Donald thought to himself. You'll bid as much as you can afford. You might not have to resort to violence. You can do this, Donald. You can do this, he pumped himself up. This is a fine young man, the auctioneer announced. A sweet young man, kind in thought and righteous indeed. He's donated from the Peterston estate, he said. 
Donald sneered. Yeah, right, he thought. The boy was stolen goods and Donald the rightful owner. Let the bidding begin at $700. The crowd anxiously stirred. The auctioneer continued as Donald shifted nervously. He did not anticipate the crowd would share his same desire. $10,000. $13,000. Donald looked at his watch. It was 9.56 p.m. Time was running out. We have $14,000, the wormy man continued like a broken record. Final bid, $14,000. Donald froze where he stood. The boy was so close. Years of hard work right in front of him. From the back, Donald could see his moist, bright red lips, his tiny hands, so pure, so true. Sold to Mrs. Thompson for $14,000. An overweight older woman in a purple velvet dress stood up and bashfully waved, her white hair done up in a beehive, fat spilling out of the back of her backless dress. Donald couldn't move. He was cemented where he stood. The dumpy woman began to prod the boy off stage so Mrs. Thompson could claim him after the show. He was almost off the stage when courage surged back to Donald. $20,000, he cried from the back. The crowd snapped around and condescendingly laughed. (laughs) The auctioneer politely laughed as well. My good sir, this this isn't a livestock auction. The bidding is over. $25,000, Donald shouted, almost screaming. The crowd began to get nervous. Please, sir, control yourself, the auctioneer demanded. He felt a tug at his hand and was startled. It was Betsy. All right, young man, that's just about enough. How about... How about I walk you outside? With that, Donald swept his hand to his hip and pulled out his Desert Eagle. Betsy reeled back, her arms in the air in surrender. Donald lifted the gun in a backhand motion and swung it with full force against Betsy's skull. She reeled around with a crack. Her skull had been split and a tiny bit of brain fizzed out of the top of her head. She twitched on the ground like a bug. The crowd gasped and a woman screamed. Donald locked the doors behind him and approached the stage, gun drawn. Donald pointed the gun at the auctioneer. The dumpy woman froze on the stage. The boy politely looked at Donald, impassively. He didn't have a trace of fear in his eyes, rather a dull look of boredom. Donald forced himself onto the stage, alternately pointing the gun at the auctioneer and then at the crowd, and every time he pointed the gun, they let out a terrified gasp. It doesn't need to come to this, the auctioneer said with a sneer. In a quick motion, Donald sucker-punched him with the butt of the gun, shattering his teeth. The auctioneer fell to the floor, holding his mouth as blood poured out. The dumpy woman attempted to run away. He grabbed her by the collar and pulled down hard. She fell flat on her back, letting out a pneumatic oof as air escaped her lungs. It bruised her vertebrae. She'd briefly be paralyzed, but she squirmed all the same. The boy stared at Donald with dead eyes. He had no expression on his face. Donald squatted down, dropping to eye level with the boy. Such a fine young man, so true, so kind. What a fresh young boy, he said. He motioned for the boy to come to his arms. Expressionless, the boy approached Donald. Donald brought the boy to his arms and embraced him tightly. He took a deep breath and smelled the boy's aroma. It was a mixture of baby powder and pomade. It was the freshest, truest scent he had ever smelled. 
Donald was in pure ecstasy. He held the boy for minutes. The crowd didn't budge. They were paralyzed with fear. You are now my boy. You will be the truest, the freshest. We shall live as boy and man, true in action, resolute indeed, Donald whispered into his fresh boy ear. There was a slam at the door. Donald snapped around with a shock. There was another slam and then one more. Finally, the door burst open and a SWAT team poured in, safely hid behind bulletproof shields. Let the boy go, screamed a sergeant from the scrum of armed police officers. He is rightfully Mrs. Thompson. We had the building surrounded, Donald. You can't escape. Donald was face to face with the boy, a pleading look on Donald's face met by a vacant look on the boy's. I could have groomed you to be a fine young man, Donald said, but I'm glad it's ending this way if it has to end at all. Donald faced the crowd, holding the boy's hand. He pointed the gun at the SWAT team, and they stopped for a moment, safely hid behind their shields. They wouldn't yet draw their weapons for fear of hitting the crowd or the boy. You did this, Donald screamed. He brought the gun to his mouth, chipping his front too. He pulled the trigger, hard. It didn't budge. Donald had left the safety on. Realizing they had an opportunity to advance, the SWAT team charged with terrific speed. Guns pointed at Donald. He unlatched the safety. Stand back, Donald yelled, putting the Desert Eagle in his mouth. He pulled the trigger. This time, he achieved purpose. His head exploded off his neck, leaving only the front part of his face as it melted and swung down, opening his face like a gory cabinet. His brain shot out the back of his head with a splat and a fizz. He fell to his knees, lifeless. He didn't fall forward, rather was frozen in position, like a genuflecting acolyte before a vengeful god. The boy, covered in skull and brains like JFK's widow, didn't move. He blinked the brains out of his eyes. The SWAT team stood down and motioned to the boy that it was safe. He didn't budge, but a sneer appeared on his face. The auctioneer got to his feet and addressed the crowd. Mrs. Thompson, you may take the boy, he said through shattered teeth. She took the boy in her arms. He didn't raise his arms to return the embrace. Instead, a sneer remained on his face with a dull look in his eyes. The crowd rose to their feet and cheered. The SWAT team solemnly removed their helmets and held them in their hands, as if listening to the national anthem or observing a moment of silence for a fallen soldier. As the crowd clapped, Mrs. Thompson brought the boy closer. So fresh, so true, she huskily whispered in his ear. Several months later, Mrs. Thompson was found, face down, dead, floating in her unkempt backyard pool. A chaotic swirl of blood escaped around her like a drop of oil and water. The back of her skull was caved in, and a look of abject terror seared on her face for all eternity. The boy would again join the auction circuit. At the auction house where Donald met his end, the staff installed a bronze placard in memory of Betsy. The story must be told. Thanks for tuning back in. We got that bird situation worked out. And audience members, remember, <laughs> you signed a release and Section 2A.88B specifically protects the story from all bird-related injuries on set. So, all right, that one's on you. <laughs> hey, whoa, Brother Reed, you doing all right? Yeah. Yeah, they, they pecked your tongue pretty bad. Well, 
I hope you can still taste the ragu de gacho because we've taken it out of the sunlight and poured it into these empty soup cans right here. Ay, 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 that's good grace. Brother Reed, come on, give it a taste. Oh, wow. Yeah, it kind of hurts. And that's just part of French cuisine. In French story cuisine, it's gonna, it's gonna really, it's gonna scald and then you're gonna get a headache. <laughs> yeah, and I would suggest drinking lots of water. After you eat this, it will be very, very hard to pass. Ay, 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 that's good grease. The birds! The birds! The birds! The birds! Open the doors! Open the doors! Oh, those accursed birds! The birds! Thank you for listening to The Story Must Be Told. And I stole your nose, you idiot. We're proud to be hosted on the last podcast network. And now you'll never get it back because I'm too busy sniffing sad fucking shit. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TSMBTPod. Yeah, I sniffed a bunch of sadness. A son disowning his mother? Yeah, sniff, sniff. Yeah, a taxi cab refusing to take a lady home just because she has diabetes? <laughs> yeah, I sniffed that. This was a post-everything production. Yeah, we're a production company. And now I'm giving you your nose back. <laughs> Nothing different at all. <laughs> we make short films like The Birthday Party. Watch as a man's friends and family conspire to humiliate him on his birthday. Oh, oh, and the doctors are safety pinning your nose back on your face. <laughs> Check out short films, but also a whole heckload of other littler videos on youtube.com slash the story must be told. We got bonkers shit coming because we love you. Yeah, you're sniffing and you can't smell flowers or apricots or sticky green anymore because your nose only knows sadness. And that's what it wants. We'll be back next week where I'll find you volunteering at a hospice. Yeah, you sniffed yourself into virtue, buddy. Sniff, sniff. Was it clear I was saying, please kill me? The story must be told. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. 